0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live.
1: Good evening, it's 8 o'clock on Sunday 6th of February. You're tuned into to Teachers Talk Radio with me, Paul Etock. Tonight I'm going to be talking about careers and careers outside teaching either before or after your career in education. And hopefully I'll also be talking about secondary schools. Is there too much focus on grades and should secondary schools be doing more to kind of put the fun back into
0: education. All those things, hopefully, in the next hour and a half. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out, with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Hello and uh, good evening from Crosby. The easiest way to describe where Crosby is, I suppose would say, it's uh, north Liverpool. If you Google it, you'll look for the place with the Anthony Gormley statues on the beach. That's where I am anyway. Not on the beach, I should stress. Quite away from there. Um, it's been quite a stormy weekend and I'm glad to be away from the, from the, uh, from the coast. Um, anyway, welcome to The Late Show if you listen to this live or also if you are downloading it on Spotify. My name is Paul Etoch and this is my first time hosting the show. So it should be interesting one way or another. And tonight, myself and my guests are going to be talking about careers. More specifically, we're talking about when, uh, or oh, sorry, where I should say a teaching career fits in the grand scheme of things. To give you a bit of context, I've been teaching for 23 years. If you count the PG, I mean, can you count the PGCE? Yeah, I'm going to count the PGC So 23 years, and I've been a middle manager for 20 of those years. First as a head of year, and then for the last 14 years as a head of department or faculty. Now I've been fairly open about the fact that at 45, and like I say, 23 years in, I'm weighing up whether do I carry on with teaching? You know, do I carry on and keep this career till the day I retire? Uh, Or am I going to try and build an alternative career? After all, thanks to pension reforms, and we'll possibly talk more about that later, I've got another 22 years left or so before I can retire properly. And use flash teaching is pretty difficult. And as someone's been doing this for over 20 years, I can assure you that the last few years have been particularly difficult. And with that in mind, you would think, well, do you carry on? hope it gets less intense, or well, is this a good tra- time to try something new? Then there's another angle. Is teaching something that you should come to later on in your working life. Playing devil's advocates we've got a tough job, but do we think it's tougher than it is due to not having experience out of the classroom? Like I say, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Um, or, you know, would we be more appreciative of teaching if we tried other careers uh, before we came into the classroom? Would we even be better teachers if we uh, came into the classroom? Uh, sorry, came into the classroom later on in our working life. From my own perspective, I think, the, and I'm sure many of you listening would say the early part of the century was a great time to start a teaching career. Um, there were so many things, so many problems. I mean, if you all remember, education, education, education. Um, there were so many promises of how schools and teaching were gonna get better and better. And I think like many teachers, I loved my job for, for quite a while. Um, and if I look back, I always think I had, um, I came into I say teaching late. I came into teaching a year or so after graduating, so I took a year out, if you like. Um, and basically, in that time, I tried a few other jobs. Um, for example, for most of the, my year between graduating and starting my PGCE, I worked at a museum. It was a great job. Gave me a glimpse of a different working life. It was flexi time, which I know. Can you imagine? Thirty-seven hours a week. You could build up hours to take long weekends. You could leave or arrive early to build up hours or to pay them back. It was an interesting job, particularly when I had a few weeks cataloging the swords collection. But there was something about the idea of teaching that kept um, calling me in basically and so I went to do that. But occasionally it occurs to me how different my working life was then and potentially how different my working life could be in the future. I'm also, one thing I'm also at is having been married, sorry, being married, better get that correct. Being married to somebody who works in the private sector, I can see sometimes a few of the advantages there are to working in something differently. And it's one of those things that you you think, you know, is, is the grass greener on the other side? Well, tonight I've got two guests, one live, one pre-recorded. Um, I'm interested to hear about life outside of teaching and life outside regular teaching, but still inside education. What are the benefits of this experience? How does teaching compare with other careers? Well, I'm just waiting for my first guest. But what I've got for you first of all is a pre-record. Um, I've a second. Uh, sorry, I was going to say my second guest. Is actually, going to be my first guest now. Um, is actually having an. Oh, sorry. Actually, as I'm going to um, change plan slightly. No, I'm not. Sorry, bear with me. Right, like I say, don't think i have going mentioned it. It's my first broadcast. Um, right, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to start with my second guest first. Uh, my second guest was having an adventure-filled weekend in North Wales this week, but very kindly agreed to record his views. Uh, he might well be listening in now on his way home. So, Steve Woods, if you're listening, thanks again for going out of your way to help me out. It is much appreciated. Now, Steve works on the Wirral. It's just over the water from me. And he describes on the following clip what his current role is.
2: Hi Paul, thanks for having me on the show. Currently I'm an independent consultant, so that means I go into schools when they ask me to come in and help them with their computing, ICT, or you know, teaching A level, teaching GCSE, whatever they want, I will put a package together and deliver it for them. It's a great job. I'm still I still feel like I'm teaching, but I don't feel like I'm on the front line of teaching as, you know, I've got marking every night. I've got, you know, all these different things to do that, you know, the, all those, the stresses and strains are there. There's different stresses and strains working for yourself, but I'm enjoying it. So I'm I'm gonna carry on until I stop enjoying it. In terms of my um, previous career before teaching, I was a teacher when I was 21. So I did a compressed B.Ed. degree back in the day. And in the, you know, 1999, I was thrust into the classroom, 40 kids in year four, and off I went in my uh, in, uh, on my teaching career. I've absolutely loved it. Um, however, beforehand, I from when I was seventeen and I could drive, I was uh, in a band, and I played the clubs and sang <laughs> every weekend. I was uh, you know second on the bill after the bingo, and uh, that was that was my uh, grounding in in the working world. In terms of you know every single weekend I'd go out and I'd earn my money, and you know. <laughs> however hard it was playing basically all over the Northwest and I enjoyed it but I got to know a lot of real people and I think that's you know a real great lesson that I learned was talking to people you know who are you know your parents basically you know talking to people who are parents and you know making those relationships with people that you can come in handy when you're in the classroom.
1: I thought it was interesting uh, to hear Steve make the point there about building relationships with older adults. Um, as I was saying before, I was a young head of year. I was head of year after two years of teaching. And sometimes I should a bit when I think of how I handle things as, as a young teacher. With hindsight, it's interesting, like I said, what Steve was saying about building up the good relations with uh, parents or people of parents and age. Um, and it makes you think, um, is, is, is that one of the reasons why it's so important? You know, to, to be able to handle those things. For example, I know some, I know, look, I look back at sometimes how I spoke to parents when I was in my mid 20s. Um, as a parent myself now, I can imagine how it must have felt to them to have this guy, um, I don't know, he was a bit wet behind the ears, maybe, certainly without children of his own, you know, sort of uh, speaking to them about their children. It's interesting, perhaps so. Um, second question I asked him was whether he thought it was important for teachers to have another career either before or after
2: teaching. This is what he had to say about that. I wouldn't say I had another career as such, but I did have a part-time job and I did get to meet lots of people and see how the world worked. And I think that gave me a good grounding in terms of being able to speak to people and communicate with people. Because, you know, as a teacher, I never left school because I went from, you know, went through my A-levels, went to university, then I went back to school again. So I only ever would have socialized with teachers had I not done um, other things. So I do think it's good to sort of, you know, do something else where you're not just involved with talking to either your peers or you're talking to people who, you know, are in the same profession. So when you have those sort of discussions and you go and work in a, in a different area, be it, you know, going and pulling a few pints or, know working you know part-time or doing a bit of labouring then you're gonna you're gonna meet people and you're gonna get to understand people so when you're speaking to parents and when you're communicating because again this is a big part of our job you have some sort of some background and some idea of the sorts of things that they're going through and the sorts of things that they're you know something that you can relate to.
1: You already started speaking there, right? Yeah, I thought the second Steve's second response there was really interesting. Um, it, it sort of builds on the first idea to me of, of sort of working with people and this idea of you know how many of us have gone straight into the classroom, for example, um, you know, straight from university, straight to PGCE, straight into the classroom, and and really you've not really had any sort of experience outside there. So I think that's something that's uh, something for us to think about, finally. I asked him if he thought the days of teachers doing 40 year stints was over. And this is what he had to say about that.
2: 40 years in the job is an incredibly long time, isn't it? I mean, I can't see myself being in the classroom at 60 and being able to to do what I do now. However, I may be because it's not about sort of, um, you know, it's about money, isn't it? And be about being able to pay your mortgage and, and feed your family. So I don't think those days are gone. But I do think the, the way the, the classroom is evolving and, and the, the demand on teachers has definitely changed. I can remember when I first started teaching, it definitely wasn't as high pressure as, as it is now. However, it wasn't as well paid as it is now as well. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm just going to sit on the fence on this question apologies if i've got slopey shoulders but i'd say it's a personal preference and i I wouldn't say no and i wouldn't say yes i think you know you know in your heart when you're done 40 years
1: okay i thought that was an interesting point you know in your heart when you are done um it's an interesting one um i think as well one of the things there that was really interesting was I don't think Steve used the word luxury, but if I'm going to use the word luxury, that we've got a choice, really, that maybe previous generations haven't. I mean, it must seem... If you could speak to someone from 100 years ago, it would be strange for them to think, you know, you've got a stable job, decent salary. Um, I guess their advice might well be in the past, right? You stick at that job until the day you retire because you've got responsibilities, you've got to pay the bills, all that sort of stuff. So suppose the thing for us is there are options if you like and uh, you know I thought the point there about stress versus pay is a strong one. I think 20 years ago when I was coming into teaching, uh, things like the upper pay spine was was brand new and there were people who happened to apply uh, with quite a rigorous process to get to the upper pay spine and try and earn decent money Um, for the first time in a generation for teachers really. Uh, I think my first guest, I think that was my fault, sorry, um, that I didn't get my first guest through on time. So I'm going to introduce her, and I'm going to bring her in, hopefully. So my first guest tonight, Tonight I was going to say my first guest ever, I suppose she still is, because she's the first live guest. She ha- She's someone who has experience of working in another industry, and I'm genuinely interested to hear what she's got to say about her former career, and also how it prepared her for teaching. So I'm hoping we have on the line, I'm supposed to unmute you, um, is Alicia Herbert.
3: Hello, nice to Hi, be here. You. Your first ever guest, an honour.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's an honour for me as well. Um, I was just thinking, um, I know you said about um, people pronouncing your name. I don't think I got it right, did I? I think I found something. Yeah,
3: it was close <laughs> it was enough. Close. <laughs> it, was, it was all right. Yeah, Alicia.
1: Alicia, okay.
4: yes, Alicia. I've, been practic-
1: <laughs> I've been practicing it all day as well. <laughs> right so um anyway welcome to the show thank you for being my first guest thanks also for the sunday late show we all know how sunday evenings you know it's, you've got that sort of dread if you like uh, how's your weekend been
3: uh yeah it's been all right um i've got a three-year-old who has just decided that sleep is for the week so <laughs> we're uh, we're going through the mill a little bit at home this weekend so we're all a bit tired and yes <sighs> any advice on that by the way well
1: Well, as the parent of an 11 year old i can't honestly say it gets well actually yes i can i can say it gets easier because they do tend to sleep in a bit longer at the weekend so you do get that so hopefully it'll get better for you right um so actually so when i um was looking for guests when i um said about the topic of my uh first Broadcast. I was saying about careers and um, previous careers, and you stood out as someone who seems to have very strong opinions on this. And I think um, when we've been um, uh, messaging each other, I could, sort of got the idea. Uh, well, I've got a few ideas, but I won't preempt them. I'll give you a chance, obviously, to explain them. Um, so maybe you could tell us a little bit about your current role in teaching and and uh, what you did before teaching
3: yeah so i'm currently i guess you would call me an early careers teacher um i'm a second year english teacher in an inner city school in the northeast um right. but before that for god more years than i would like to say um my age slightly <laughs> for 11 years i was a detective in the police force right. okay um so yeah so a massive change so i've worked on really quite gruesome things all the kind of things that you see on tv um things that you probably don't want to hear too much about on a sunday evening talk show um (laughs) but yeah so kind of 2019 i jumped ship and i'd done my pgc part-time while i was in the police um and then after having my son i just kind of jumped ship and became a teacher and that's where i am today
1: yeah, just it's interesting because you've gone from one career where the TV tends to get it wrong to another career <laughs> where it tends to get it wrong.
3: Yeah, just um, like shouting at the TV. That's how I <laughs> pick my careers. Just what makes yeah. me shout at the TV more.
1: I think that sounds yeah. right. Do you get do you get told off when you do that?
3: Oh, all the time. Like <laughs> just just enjoy it. Just just in. But I can't enjoy it because it's so wrong that I might as well yeah. just not be watching a program about policing or teaching.
1: Yeah, well, it's bad. Um, I mean. I sort of, I've been teaching the crime and punishment unit for GCSE, so even with that, even with the tiny, tiny, tiny fractions of knowledge I've got, I'm sort of watching things, shouting, they wouldn't do that, they couldn't do that. It must be a hundredfold for yourself, having having done the proper thing.
3: Yeah, Um, definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love it. I love all of it, like line of duty. If my life had been like line of duty, I don't think I would (laughs) have left. But unfortunately, just things like that, just exciting things like that, didn't happen that often.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that's probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's only so much you could take with that, I'm sure. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. I um, anything involving a teacher on the TV, I'm immediately up shouting. But particularly Bugbird, the moment is Coronation Street where they have inset days every week, it seems, and the kids are always there. And Do we not? Is that not no? <laughs> well, there's also um, I've forgotten his name now. The young lad who's doing his PGCE, say young lad, he's in his twenties. And he's always walking home with the kids after school. (laughs) It it can get a bit irritating, can't it? So imagine—I'm guessing—if that's school, and most people have been to school for you know for the police, it must be double. Um, With that in mind, I mean, was there a moment when you were in the police where you just thought, right? It was like a watershed moment where you thought, right? I—I've got to go into teaching. I've got.
3: Well, funnily enough, I was talking to my husband about this, and I've been with my husband probably as long as I've been in the police. So it's quite—he's quite a good barometer um, for
4: right.
3: yeah. these when I have these existential crises that I tend to have kind of once <laughs> a decade. He—he's a really good barometer, and he reminded me of something that I'd completely forgotten. That the first time we ever went away together, we actually went to the Natural History Museum in London, um, yeah. and he said you were talking about one of the exhibits, one of the displays, because my first degree was ancient history. Um, And he said you were talking about something. And he said just the way you came alive and the way you were describing it, he was like, I knew all those years ago that you were always going to be a teacher. It just took you a little bit longer to realise that's what you were going to do. So I think kind of everyone else knew I didn't. Mm -hmm. And it took me the longest to, to figure out that it was something that I needed to do, really.
1: Yeah, and so so was there many people shocked when you announced that you were changing career?
3: Um, yes and no. I mean, I think policing is probably very similar to teaching in that once you're in it, everyone just assumes that's it till you die. Um, right. You know, it, it, teaching tends not to be something that you dip in and out of. F- certainly, from the people that I've met, you're either in or you're out. Um, and policing's very similar to that, you know, you sign up almost, yeah. you, you sell your soul when, when you join um, mm-hmm. and to leave. It, it causes a bit of a bit of shock in and out. So the people in can't believe what you're giving up. Um, yeah. And the people out don't understand the kind of the hugely significant moment that is to kind of turn your back on it all. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think there was, there was quite a lot of shock, um, especially because the other half of my family is a full policing family. Um, right. So my husband was a fourth generation police officer and to try and explain around the dinner table <laughs> that suddenly that I wasn't going to do that anymore. Um, yeah. I had to really carefully think about it. I had to wait till my father-in-law wasn't eating, like actually had food in his mouth when I told him.
5: <laughs> I
1: can imagine. So did anyone try to talk you out of it?
3: No, absolutely not. Um, I think, and when we were messaging, we were talking about this. I think yeah. there are certain professions that you do in your life that you yeah. give so much to that it, it, it's kind of like, you give a piece of yourself that you'll never get back. Um, and policing's very, very much like that. You know, you, you give to the point that you don't think you can give any more and then you find a little bit more to give. Um, yeah. And I think there were a lot of changes happening in policing at the time. There were a couple of quite big high profile kind of scandals on the news which is ironic because we're there again a couple of years later. (laughs) Um, And I think the mood had changed towards policing quite significantly in a way that I'd never experienced before. Um, And it just, a lot of things happened all at once that were like, this is the moment. If it doesn't happen now, it'll not ever happen. And I'll have to live with that. Um, So the stars kind of aligned really. And I just, yeah, it was just the right time.
1: So, you've you say so you're an ECT is you, did you say you're in your first or second year second
3: second, second year, year. Yeah. yeah
1: and how have you found million dollar question of course is what how have you found the, the transition
6: um
3: yeah do you know what I'm probably going to be one of the least popular people ever but I've found I found <laughs> teaching like it's a different kind of hard and it's not hard in a way that I think other people really find it hard. Um, I think it's the same in that you give a lot of yourself. So, you know, you don't finish at five o'clock and then that's it. And you're like, right, okay, I'm going to go home and do everything I need to do. And I'll not think about work till nine o'clock. So in that sense, it's the same. But I've spent my entire kind of formative period of my life, if you like, as an adult in an incredibly disciplined organization, where the pressures are, you know, like, to use a cliche, literally life and death. Yeah. And, oh, of course. And, you know, I've carried the hopes and expectations and traumas of people for, for years, and suddenly having to create a PowerPoint or having to have a snarky phone call with a parent doesn't <laughs> seem that bad. And I think going back in a really roundabout way to what you kind of opened your show with, I think being in another career. And I'm not saying that everybody has to suddenly go and join an emergency service to kind of feel that adrenaline and terror on a daily basis. Um, But just having an expectation of what the world expects from you, and knowing what the world expects from you, and also knowing that it That there is a world out there that isn't just teaching because I think in any career that if you've been in it long enough or if it's as all-encompassing as something like teaching you kind of forget that there are other things out there and that people might not see things the way you do and people might not see things as important and as all-consuming as you do if that makes sense and actually things that you obsess about and get really worried about actually other people's life views aren't really that serious so for an example Mm -hmm. there was um had to do with um a year seven student who refused to give up a phone we've got a no phone policy um, refused to give up a phone um her tutor an nqt who's about 10 years younger than me um absolutely stressing for all day about how he was going to have that conversation with mum about how she was in isolation until she handed a phone out. It literally obsessed him for the whole day. And I find that not amusing because it, it, you know, clearly had, (laughs) it was, it it was clearly something very important to him. But I just had to have that conversation with him and say, like, this is not the most important conversation her mum is going to have today. And it shouldn't be the most important conversation that you have today just put it into yeah. perspective it's a situation that we've got to deal with think about it in context if somebody rang you and had that conversation i know it seems really important but you've just got to put it into context a bit and i think that's what a second career or first career really helped me with is the kind of putting things into context
1: i uh, do you know i think i think sorry sorry go
3: on i was just going to say i'm going to take a breath now because i feel like i've really <laughs> rambled there no um,
1: no i'm not at all but, i'm, I'm Literally hanging on every word you said because it's it it's it for me because I've been teaching for so long. When I say these things, sometimes I sort of think I'm not sure if I've got the evidence to back that up or the experience to back it up. But when you say something like that with the career you've had previously, it's <laughs> it's almost like I was I was had a big obviously you can't see had a big smile on my face because I think you're so right with perspective. Um, we had uh, offset in last week. We're still trying to recover from it now. Yeah, but, which, I mean, um, don't
3: get me wrong. That's, I mean, that is terrifying, yeah. isn't it? That's, it's, yeah, that is, it all is encompassing.
1: But the thing with that is, um, we, I've got a young colleague, I'm sure you won't mind, I'm not going to name him, but I'm sure you won't mind. His young colleague, he's first Ofsted. Um, he's an RQT. And when I went in at lunchtime to have a chat with him about it, he was physically trembling with this idea of offsted. And I said, what is the very worst thing that they could come in and do tomorrow? You know, I said, the very worst thing they could come in tomorrow is say, you're not doing your job properly. Right, we're going to speak to your manager. Um, And then my manager might get asked, sorry, why I hadn't in the middle, sort of done something about it. But as you say, as a detective, if you didn't do your job properly then, the consequences are are, are far, far bigger, aren't they, in so many ways? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things... um, you know, I won't get my wife on as a guest, but one thing she'd um, confirm <laughs> is that the summer holidays, for, for a few years, I used to spend the first four weeks of the summer holidays nervous about the exam results. Then we get them and spend the next two weeks being really nervous about exam results. And I I look back and think, should that have had that sort of impact? You know, is anyone a few years on sort of coming back to me with those sorts of things? It's, it's mm-hmm. Although what we do is incredibly important, a few dodgy grades every now and again, or um, a bad lesson observation, something like that. It, 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 as you say, you put it into perspective. It has a really, um, you, if you really think about it, it's not that big a deal, is it? And it's it's a shame. We sort of beat. Do you think? Do you think teachers are very good at beating themselves up?
3: Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes we focus on the wrong things. And I'm not saying yeah. that. Grades and GCSEs and A levels and all of those things are really unimportant because they're absolutely not. Because
4: yeah. uh,
3: rightly yeah. or wrongly, and a, a show for another time, it's the measure by which we assess the worth of our young people in jobs and education. Yeah. Um, and you know, the kind of the lefty radical in me thinks that we should burn all that down. But until that day, that's that's yeah. what we've got to work with. Um, But I think teachers so often underestimate their impact in other ways. Yeah. You know, just things like I take fruit in for my kids on a Monday because I'm not sure if they've had fruit on a weekend. And I know that means more than how well I've taught them animal farm second period.
6: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
3: And I think think we underestimate that holistic impact that we can have Mm -hmm. on people's lives young people's lives families lives um and i don't say that we put all our energies in the wrong area i just i think maybe we should be kinder to ourselves and realize that actually just us as people quite often is enough
4: and all that good teaching
3: and all that all that curriculum building and all of that stuff will get there but actually if you're just a really good person trying to genuinely make somebody's day a little bit better like you should just Mm -hmm. go home and smile about that like that, that's incredibly powerful.
1: I think so, I think I think you're right there. I think, um, I'd, I'd love to be able to say I'm as uh, as generous as yourself going in with the fruit every week, but on the occasions where I've done things like, you know, um, arrange for kids to get home and they've lost the bus money or, you know, yeah. make sure they got fed at lunchtime because they forgot to bring the money in that day or put money on the card. It does give you that sort of, that, that nice feel. And you probably, I'm guessing you probably got that feeling as a police officer when you're dealing with with quite distraught families. And I suppose your work, you know, on the scale of crimes, I suppose, sort of did something to help those people get on with their lives. Is it a yeah. similar kind of reward?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. And, you know, I think it's, it's very similar work, really. I mean, obviously the stakes and the circumstances are different, but you know, I think if you're the kind of person that, that tries to make people feel better, you'll always find a way to, to do that. Um, and I didn't yeah. go into teaching, honestly, kind of, if I was going to reflect on it, not because I wanted people to know things, because I don't yeah. know if I'm particularly skilled at getting people to know the things that I'm telling them. <laughs> don't,
1: say, don't say that in public. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but I think... I think I'm really good at cultivating relationships. I'm, right. I, I'm, I'm a good judge and, you know, I'm as British as they come and to try and say these words about a positive trait of myself is like sticking in my throat because you can't, can you, when you're British? It's like it, no, you no. physically can't say good things about yourself. Um, but I'm I'm good at judging people not judging people in if they're good people but understanding people and understanding their needs and finding ways to make that better and i think that's what made me a good police officer and i think that's what makes me a good teacher um and i think that's probably why i work in an inner city school that runs at 72 percent pupil premium because wow, they're the kind of yeah. yeah hence fruit on mondays um, absolutely
1: yeah
3: and i think yeah I'll just I always just wanna find a way to make people smile, I guess. And the stakes are different, the people are different, but the mission's the same.
1: I could absolutely brilliant way to put it, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's all sort of all all the services together sort of can provide that, can't they? Um for sure. Do um do you <laughs> tell your students about your, your past life, your past career?
3: Oh, they love it. They absolutely love it. <laughs> um I'm not originally from the North and I can't do the accent because it just sounds like I'm taking the mick. Um, I,
1: just... I, I, I thought <laughs> when you started speaking, I thought northeast. So maybe you've picked it up subconsciously.
3: I mean, I've been here a long time, but I am originally from Cheshire, not too far from you. Um, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of my original neck of the woods. But um, <laughs> they love that I'm a busy that's what they use. miss oh. miss miss did you used to be a busy did you used to be a yeah uh, <laughs> did you used to chase me dad probably <laughs> and it, yeah so they love it In that was one thing i did want to talk about is
4: yeah, kind yeah.
3: Of, i don't know how to put it we had this big thing in school a couple of years ago about cultural capital and i'm yeah. sure it's it, it was a buzzword a few years ago wasn't it about increasing students cultural capital um yeah but I think from students from sorry, not from students, from a teacher's point of view, I think credibility capital is really, really important, Um, which is kind of why I do advocate, even if it's just voluntarily teachers doing something else, because if I had gone into teaching in the school I'm at now as an NQT straight from university, straight from kind of pgce all of that two placement scenario i would have had a heart attack Uh, Mm -hmm. i I would have walked in look surveyed the scene and walked back out again because i wouldn't have had that kind of that life capital that cultural kind of credibility of the students that i'm working with but i know what goes on in their homes and i don't know in like some kind of you know esoteric sense in that i'm a mind reader it's because i've been in their homes i've seen what happens yes, in their yeah. homes i've I've seen their lives and yeah i probably have nicked a couple of their dads or probably their mums at, at some point you know and
1: could make fun but, of parents even it,
3: and, but do you know what because no because we understand that relationship there's yeah if you yeah. it's it's a very delicate relationship but they understand it you know I've got a job to do they've got a job to do regardless of which one's legal um but going back to kind of that that kind of cultural credibility they I know what they're going through so I can deal with it accordingly so I for example a couple of years ago when I first started I had a kid who never did homework and you know I've never been a big homework giver anyway but I Mm -hmm. didn't do the homework and he was a bright kid and my first reaction my first teacher reaction was oh my god detention the kid's not doing the homework he's not listening to me he's, yeah. he's, he's not following the rules and then I kind of mulled it over sat back had to think about it reached back into the recesses of my memory and then realized I knew this family and I knew they were absolutely unbelievably desperately poor and when nice. I spoke to him about it because speaking to people, building those relationships was, you know, how I made my living for a long time. Yeah. He was sharing a light bulb with two of his siblings and it was wow. winter and they were all doing different homework and they only had one really ancient laptop and they couldn't all do their work at the same time. And they, they literally had to take a light bulb from room to room. And,
1: That's, yeah. and it's scary, isn't it? Because it is, Because it say- really
3: is. But if you're an NQT and you've never experienced life outside and, you know, you have you don't happen to come from one of those places, that doesn't mean anything to you. And, you know, and there is that, that fear then that that's going to become overwhelming and something that you're not going to be able to deal with. Um, so just to have that awareness and that understanding of life outside teaching, I think, is absolutely essential because you can just become encapsulated into a school environment, into an education environment, into homework, offsted, ticky boxes, yes. whatever the new thing from the government is, um, whatever mm-hmm. your new SLT decide is the thing that you're going to do this month, then you actually forget why you're really there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, there's so many things there that you've said there that I absolutely agree with. It's, you know, going back to the point I was making before that, um, you know, growing up, I, was, I we weren't from a, an affluent family, far from it, you know, I'd have been the kid who didn't qualify for anything, but then couldn't afford to go on things. Um, and it is its, it's, it's it is very easy to forget. And I, and I know sometimes colleagues, you know, who are from backgrounds who won't appreciate how tough some kids have got it. Um, it's why sometimes I think, I'm in two minds with the whole idea. I've, I've occasionally done things myself, like chastise a child for not having a pen. Like, you know, why haven't you got a pen? They're only a pound for a bag and home bargains or something. And then as you say, you think, hmm, yeah, but you know what? That pound might have gone to something else that was more needed kind of thing. Um, What I was going to ask you about was it's one of those things that um, perhaps I think teachers do a lot of that people who aren't teachers, um, it can give us a reputation if you like. So, for example, um, I've had colleagues in the past say things like, Oh, I could go off and work in a factory and not have to worry about the job and not earn more money and i said well you wouldn't you know you're right about <laughs> potentially but not having to worry about putting lids on jars or something but is this sort of are we as teachers sort of fooling ourselves that the work-life balance is is obviously it's absolutely no doubt in my mind a problem for teachers but is it the same in other professions so if we go back to what we were saying before about detectives on the TV, um, you see them all, there's a case come in, they don't sleep for four or five days. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the reality? Is that, what it's, is that what it was like?
3: Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I think, I think the, the difference, and I can't speak for any of the professions yeah. because I've, I'm not old enough to have had three careers.
4: Um,
3: <laughs> I think with the police, it was very all or nothing. So you would have this huge, not quite as exciting as the TV, but you would have these huge cases and they would consume you and you would spend days and weeks and months living in the same clothes and eating takeaway and all of that stuff because there were time pressures. Um, You know, you had to catch someone, you had to get evidence together, you had to build a case, all of that kind of stuff. And then there were huge lulls in which you kind of, found thing there were always things to do but there wasn't that kind of urgency whereas i think i think policing's kind of like chinese water torture in a way in (laughs) that it's just it's a drip 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 effect isn't it there's there's always something there's always a demand but actually not all of it is life-threatening all the time so because you can't There are obviously things in a day that are priority. But for me, what I found is by and large, because everything's kind of of an equal importance and an equal urgency, whether that's really urgent or not very urgent at all, it all kind of bobs along at roughly the same level. Um, It's overwhelming sometimes because you don't know how to prioritize and you don't know which thing you should be doing first and it's it's kind of like herding cats isn't it you don't really know sometimes you end up looking like i sit on a sunday night sometimes and go i've got 15 things to do but i don't know which one's actually going to benefit me the most and they all need doing and they're all important but i could probably do some of them on wednesday i could probably do some of them on tuesday and do you know what i mean there's no it's really really hard sometimes to to get yourself in order because there's all things to do all the time whereas in policing you knew you had x amount of things to do x amount of time to do it and once it was done it was done whereas police teaching is just constant tasks isn't it it's just constant things to do Um, and i think that's why it it can feel too much sometimes because it's always ongoing it's not like the kids leave and then there are no more kids there are always (laughs) kids coming over the horizon do you know what i mean there's always something yeah Yeah, it's it is it's like um oh i can never remember the man from greek mythology who had to roll the the rock up the hill and then he had to start again the next day that's sometimes Uh, how i kind of describe teaching
1: (laughs) yeah i know this it's gonna come to me in a minute because I was talking about it the other day in a cartoon, uh, with the suffragettes, it will come back to me. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think um, I, it, it's taken me 22 years to realize that I think I'm better with give me one big thing to do and I will tackle mm-hmm. it, I'll go hell for leather with it and I will, you know, actually do that job to death. Mm-hmm. But I think as soon as, you know, you, you can write as many to-do lists as you like. But I, I sort of find myself, once I get so many things on my plate, I struggle because I think, I'd, which one do I start with? I'll do something mm-hmm. completely different instead. Whereas I suppose if you're in a job where you've got one main objective for that day, week, month, I suppose it gives you something to aim for, even if mm-hmm. it becomes, an. I guess it must be like an obsession if, you, if you're trying to crack a big case. Sorry, this it sounds like um, I'm using words that maybe they use on the TV. I don't know if use them in real life. I don't know if it's coming across as cliche. But, um, i don't think i've ever I, cracked a case <laughs> i don't
3: think i've ever met anyone that's cracked a case
1: yeah it's <laughs> do you know it's, well one thing i will say i've never been in the police but i have been mistaken for a policeman several oh. times yeah particularly if, if there's some um when i've gone into particularly dodgy pubs in years gone by i've, I've had people sort of side up to me and say ask, ask me if i'm a busy which i thought was a merseyside word but it sounds like
3: no it's, it's not well. yeah, it's definitely, I think it's a northern it's just a northern word I think
1: right okay I didn't know how to answer the question I have to be honest because I said to her if I say yes then you're not going to be happy but if I say no you're not going to believe me but whatever I was wearing at that time or, or I must just look respectable and they thought you can't be one of the regulars <laughs> or something like that right so the, the second million dollar question then so we talked about work life balance an awful lot
4: mm-hmm.
1: um Is it possible to say which career has got the better work-life balance? (laughs) Well,
3: clearly teaching because I left policing. Um, Yes. I think, I I think, this is really hard. And I thought I had an answer to this. Now now I'm actually answering it in real time. I'm, I'm not sure. I think it's a, different work-life balance I think I can control teaching more than I could control policing so as I mentioned before I've got a young son he was a huge Mm -hmm. kind of catalyst for for me leaving Um, I can arrange a lot of what I have to do around him so I can do my work day which isn't particularly long you know I can be home for kind of I make a point of not leaving work any later than four if I really don't have to um and then i'll do all the things i need to do with him and then i can work when he goes to bed and potentially that means i'm working more hours in the day than i would if i would just stayed till five or six o'clock but it means i've got control of my life a little bit more whereas in my other career i had no control whatsoever if something needed doing if that phone rang and it was something I needed to do, I just needed to do it. And it was, that was me. That was then my life signed over until it was done. Um, yeah. Whereas this, yes, again, that kind of drip, drip, never ending kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. But I can control better how it affects the rest of my life, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, do you know, and actually, from listening to you talk about, you know, um, being a detective, and sometimes this happens isn't it? you speak to someone, you actually get a newfound appreciation for teaching. Because you know, I suppose whatever job you do, if you do it for 22, 23 years, you only think about the negatives. And, you know, the grass is always greener kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But listen to you talking about those things. It resonates because, you know, I remember um, I first toyed with the idea of leaving teaching about 10 years ago. And we decided to start uh, I'd go and work another school instead and just, you know, give it another try and although it's been tough the last 10 years one of the things I'd say is in my other role in my previous school sorry I would never been able to have dropped off my daughter at nursery or picked her up um, and it, it's it's one of those things that's sort of like it's, it's one of the best parts of was me day was being able to leave school and go and pick my daughter up and that was
0: mm-hmm.
1: if I had a job where that wasn't always possible so for example my wife before COVID where she was in an office a lot more, she might not get home till half seven, eight o'clock. Well, that time I've had two, three valuable hours with my daughter. But yeah. if I'd been in the same industry, I wouldn't have had. And I guess for yourself, if, if something came in that was urgent and it might be two, three days before you see uh, your children again, Is that, is that something I'm a, I'm a barking up the right tree there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, like the rhythm of my life, is is really good now you know i've got a rhythm um and there's not very much really you know aside from kind of the odd parents evening or a residential or those sort of things there isn't much that can kind of knock that out of kilter now um yeah and i just yeah i think there is a lot to be said for having control of your own 24 hours um Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't realise that actually that is a luxury, to, to fully be able to yeah. control the course of your day and your week. Um, and yeah, it's very
1: structured, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. In you know, it's a very structured profession, really, isn't it? If we haven't got yeah. structure right, then I can imagine <laughs> your workday is really difficult. Um, no, exactly. And I think sometimes where a lot of people struggle is is how to really totally use that structure and to use and I guess it's about forward planning and whatever but I, I think if you if you can't master the art of a good structured day then yeah, it, yeah it, it can make your life really hard but as somebody who hasn't had any control to have the level of control that I have now um, is is incredible really um, the same as you like I leave work at four I've got my son in the car talking about his day by half past four at the latest um yeah. and if that means i don't go to bed till a little bit later it's a price i'm willing to pay and uh, you know i'll pay it gladly
1: yeah and imagine you know and i'll keep going on but i imagine there are many many days and nights where as a detective you'd be going to bed at the same time or even later and you haven't had all that time in between you've just been straight at work so it's it's
3: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: If nothing else, gives you that gap. Because sometimes, I mean, I'll sometimes look at my watch, and I'll still be on my laptop at ten o'clock, and I'll think, "Oh, I've done fourteen hours." Then you think, "Well, I haven't," because I had um, that that period of time where I picked up my daughter, and we've chatted all things. Maybe even gone crazy and stopped for a milkshake or something on the way from school. And so you have got that quality time still built into the day, haven't you? It's not a straight fourteen-hour slog. So what, one of the things um, I was going to ask you about, um, because I was asking, I don't know if you heard when I spoke to my previous guest Steve about the idea of, you, I mean, with what you've seen so far, do you think you could have? I mean, first of all, are we, Is it fair to say you've you're you glad you made this choice and you've you like your new career?
3: Yeah, definitely, absolutely, I do. Yeah.
1: And with that in mind, do you think? Do you think? This is your career now to retirement or do you think there's, there's yeah i think hard. i'm spoiled that...
3: now i think i'm spoiled <laughs> now i'm, I'm used yeah. to you know and as well the, uh, what a lot of teachers and i know it's the the old trope that is always thrown at teachers i mean 13 weeks a year off and
4: then, <laughs>
3: however you choose to, to that. Yeah. however you choose to dress that up and however you know i'm the one of the first ones to go well it's not just 13 weeks and the price of holidays yeah. and i do all my planning and there's exam results and <laughs> da, da da they one of my friends is just she's come back off maternity leave and she works for the, the local authority um yeah doing something local authority-ish of which <laughs> i have no idea um, top secret and I was saying, I was saying this to her about, Oh God, you know, I'm just counting down till half term. And she was like, Alicia, I literally get a 30 days <laughs> holiday uh, and I have to decide when to use that. Go away. Yeah. I was like, Oh God, yeah, you're right. You're actually right. um, And I don't want this to sound like a bit of vitriol against people who moan about teaching because it's so hard and it's so all encompassing. Mm-hmm. It really is. But you know, it is so easy to get dragged down with all that is negative and all that is hard and all that is wrong um, that you don't appreciate what it is and what it could be.
1: Yeah, it is. I, I totally hear you. It is very much the grass always greener. So a couple of times in the last few years, I've seen jobs outside of teaching that I've thought, oh, that could be good. And as I've put the application forms in, I've thought, ooh, am I really ready for this that you know I've had the 13 weeks and although some of them as you say you spend planning uh, or getting nervous about exam results um, I think you're dead right again you know same thing I was saying before about like after school I've had some so many valuable experiences um, being a parent of those weeks that you just you never get again we you know twice I spent I spent two summers with my daughter when she was like five or six, where we were away for six whole weeks, and mm-hmm. my wife flew home in between, and and I got six full weeks with her. But you'd never get that in well, in most no. careers, would you? Really, it, it is pretty incredible. Um, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's one of the things I was going to mention is you know this idea of it's a double-edged sword in the way because I'm talking about there's obviously an issue with teacher retention, but at mm-hmm. the same time could there be some kind of scheme where, I'll give you an example, my father-in-law in in the 80s, he was an FE teacher, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that he taught business studies and the college said to him, you've not worked in business for a long time, so let's give you a year and put you into the work of industry. Mm -hmm. And he loved it so much he left, he went over and stayed in industry for the rest of his career. Um, But it it got me thinking, um, You know, whenever I looked at other jobs, it got me thinking about whether, it feels like a harder slog because it, it feels like you've got to do 40 years. As I mentioned before about pensions, to get a full teacher pension now you're working, well, you can't claim it till 67, so in theory, there could be some teachers who work up to 45 years in theory, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine anyone doing that long now. But it brought me on to, um, and obviously you'll know more about this than I do, but is it is it the case that a full police pensions after 30 years service, is that how it works? Yo
3: well <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah, <misunderstood. laughs> thank, thank well thank you boris johnson's government um, ah, right. but okay. it, it used to be so it used to be you signed on for 30 years yeah um and then it changed to 35 um oh, which was right, still okay. fair enough because if you joined yeah. you know i joined at 21 so you know i would right. still be a way good way short of 60 when i retired um But then it it changed again to 60 um, and the police pensions made of two elements and one element you could get at 60 and the other element you couldn't get till you were 67. um, And that was brought in under this latest government. Um, So it's not what it used to be. It's still much better than a lot of other pensions, but it's not the kind of gold plated triple locked one that Mm -hmm. just for perspective, my father in law earns now. in his pension when he he retired in 2005 from the police he earned more as a retiree than i did as a full-time serving detective um because the pensions had changed (laughs) so significantly um so it was marvelous it's still good but it's not it's not that kind of you know land of milk and honey that it is kind of Exposed to be, um, yeah. but I don't. I don't think is a pension. Everything is that is that worth selling? However many years of your life just for a few exactly. quid at the end of it? Is that no, no, is that all we're doing this for?
1: <laughs> no, I mean that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's it's. I, in all honesty, it's one of the things I do consider. But you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it's just. Um, it was just one of those thoughts that. I'm thinking sort of, we've got the situation with um, teacher retention. And, and really, in fact, in a way, a lot of the things you've said have made me think twice about the idea that people coming into teaching from outside would, would suddenly think, oh and get straight back out. But it seems okay. that, I mean, just looking at stats today, you know, 30% apparently leave teaching within five years. And I was just thinking, you know, whether there'd be something, because it, it goes back to something when I used to pick my doors up from nursery, the people who owned the nursery had been teachers and left to start a business. Mm-hmm. And, they, they, you know, every day was about, you know, another tough day, etc. the same sort of usual chat. And they sort of said to me, I think, you know, their opinion was that if you sign up to be a teacher, you should have a 20-year service or 30 years, and then and then that's it, and you sort of almost like the government would find you another way into it. Because I was, I was trying to think before, I was asking around friends. I can't think of anyone who can sort of do forty years. I, I can't think of when I started as an NQT. I had five, six colleagues who'd been at the same school for for coming up to forty years. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anyone I work with, uh, past or present, who's got who's actively teaching now, who's done more than thirty years. And I'm wondering if,
3: but so that's what they, they. But that's yeah. kind of a societal thing, isn't it? like yeah people who make the pensions and keep the pensions don't want you to ever claim the pension so it could (laughs) they could make it to be 55 years and you know it's just a number isn't it like you know for for me when i look at it really really cynically the whole point now it seems of a pension is that you're never going to get it so i always just work (laughs) on the assumption that i'm just working i'm never going to see the pension so i'm not going to worry about it because i think certainly i'll never see my state pension you know i'm 34 and i'll never see my state pension i'm absolutely sure of that because they'll just keep raising the age they'll keep raising and raising and raising it and i just i just will never see it i don't think so yeah yeah, um but going back to what you said about um, you know 30 percent Uh, Mm -hmm. kind of attrition rate within five years. I always wonder how much research has been done across multiple industries, you know, public, private sector, all of those things. And I wonder just kind of how shocking that statistic is really, because I think the first five years in any career, not just not a job, but a career, I think that's an incredibly turbulent time for anybody in any career. And I would really like to see what the attrition rates are in other industries, you know, the the military, Mm -hmm. um, aviation, uh, medicine, you know, all those kind of
4: traditional
3: Mm -hmm. high pressure kind of highly qualified careers. I I would kind of hedge a bet that potentially the attrition rates aren't too different because it's the same scenario isn't it you go into something you've done all this training um you're highly skilled possibly low on life experience you've you've come into it with all these hopes and expectations and you think you know exactly what's going to happen and it it doesn't work out that way and your eyes are opened and sometimes your eyelids are literally peeled off and you think oh my gosh this is not what i thought it was going to be and i don't think that's just teaching i I really don't i I think that's any high pressure high skill public you know interactive kind of industry really um and i I would suggest i mean i haven't done any research but i would suggest that the numbers wouldn't be too dissimilar across other industries
1: do you know that's I've never, see this, this is the great thing about speaking to people who've had the experience outside, I've never really considered that and it'd be interesting to see the same sort of thing. Um, Like you say across, I'll tell you what I did think before, many years ago, um, going back 13, 14 years, we did a placement with the the University of America where some of their teaching students came across for just a two, three week placement. And they were, I've Googled it this morning, I couldn't find any details, so maybe the scheme's ended where American students out of university were basically told if they did, I think it was five or six years as a high school teacher, their student loans would be pretty much written off. Um, and, and it was interesting because their attitude was, I've got three years of this and then I'm out and Mm -hmm. it never even occurred to them that it was something that they were going to do. Other than as a way of paying off the loans very, very quickly, you know, they, they, the, the two guys I was speaking to, very nice guys, but were basically their attitude was I didn't go to university to where, and it's different in America perhaps, but I didn't go to university to where teachers salary. Um, I'm going to do this to get my student loans paid off, and then I'm going straight off into the big world, you know, private sector kind of thing. But it's interesting, yeah, it'd be interesting to compare what the fallout rate is in other countries, um, whether America's got a similar situation or Europe, but... It's interesting one. Well, um, mm. One of the other things I was going to ask you about, and I hope you don't mind, there's something that came up in our conversation before um, about how the school uses your experience. I mean,
3: mm.
1: do you think you could be better used in school, or oh, how
3: absolutely. would you like to see? Yeah, how
1: would you like to see your experience put into place?
3: I think, I think, and I can only speak from my experience, and I'm absolutely not saying that this is how teachers and the teaching profession view people coming in as second careers so you know put a disclaimer on that that this is just my personal experience. Um, I think that a lot from what I've encountered from the two schools that I've worked at particularly senior leaders have obviously by virtue of the fact that they are senior leaders have been in education for a really long time and they've got a very education centric outlook and they it it kind of felt like a time served kind of narrative in that you have not served enough time in this profession to be worthy of a seat at the table um you know you've got to almost earn your stripes and in a way i get that um that you know i haven't been a teacher for that long and you know if you put me up teaching macbeth against some of the you know people that have been doing it for 15 20 years i will probably be found wanting but the things right. i do have experience on and the things that i would like to say that i'm really well qualified at
4: mm-hmm.
3: because i because i haven't gained that experience as a teacher it doesn't mean it isn't valid so, yeah. you know, areas right. of behavior, safeguarding, um, multi-agency yeah. working, partnerships, um, working with the community, those sorts of things. I am that, you know, that is what I've built a really successful career on. Um, and sometimes it's really hard to see people with less kind of experience, but more time served in schools riding roughshod over things and sometimes toe curlingly so and i and it's not i'm not given the gift of a voice in that situation and um yeah sometimes the eyes roll so hard in my head i think they're going to fall out (laughs) um and i don't know if that's it it is kind of personally frustrating yeah but it's also really professionally frustrating because i am a professional and I've spent a long time being a professional. Um, yeah. And it's, for, for me, I would like to think that regardless of whether someone got that experience, if they've got that credibility and they've got that kind of like nouse behind them almost, that they deserve yeah. to be listened to regardless of whether that comes from, because that's what we teach our young people. That agency is agency. It's who you are. It's, you know, the sum of your experiences. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't know, just the, the experience I've had so far is that unless you're an educationalist from 21 and, you know, you've you've got your kind of Blackwell's life membership card from a very early age, then actually your experiences aren't valid in a school setting. And that's been my biggest disappointment so far, I think.
1: Do you know, do you know something actually occurred to me when you were talking and that I hadn't thought of or sorry it reminded me actually when I switched schools ten years ago and thankfully the staff I'm about to talk about aren't there anymore so it's not an issue but I found um, my experience at a previous school had almost been disregarded so I remember starting as someone who like I say been 10-12 years in pastoral curriculum work and then I've got um, there was there was a couple of staff who were no longer at the school, who had no idea that I had all this experience, and they were telling me how to do a job that I'd done for twelve years. You know, particularly the pastoral side, asked telling me how to do things, how to talk to parents. So I'm thinking, I've mm-hmm. done this job, and you've got no idea. So yeah. it must be, it must be um, like I say, I've used this expression a lot tonight, but tenfold for yourself. Just as well you were saying there about there's probably a few that can teach Macbeth better than you. And obviously that will come with time. I'm sure you'll you'll be just as good, if not better. Are you thinking of um, the career ladder? Because I know a few members of SLT would be quite honest and open enough to say they are not amongst the best teachers in the school, but the experience they've got and the skills they have make them better in SLT than someone, you know, you could be the best teacher in the world, but would be a terrible leader. Is that something you've considered?
3: Yeah, I think I would be lying if I said I wasn't ambitious because I, I yeah. kind of can't help it. Um, I'm yeah, ambitious yeah. sometimes without me even realising that I'm being ambitious. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely. Um, I haven't reached the the limits of my experience yet, I don't think. Um, and I don't think I would be happy settling where I am now. I do think I've got a lot more to, to give and a lot more to explore to see if that is, you know, if I've reached the edge or if I can, can go further. um, I'm just, that's kind of my next big chunk of time. I think is to see exactly where I am going to go with, with my career.
6: Yeah.
1: No, I think that's natural, isn't it? And I think, yeah, I think you've had such a massive dose of reality in the police that I'm sure that would be really, really useful at SLT level. Um, you never know. You might get an off back to turn up who you've nicked in the past, and that might um, <laughs> that might prove invaluable. Who and you knows?
3: imagine, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I, it, it'd be brilliant wouldn't it. Sort of thing that happened on the TV on Waterloo Road or something like that. <laughs> um, one, I will say, final point. Um, I was just thinking.
3: I know. I apologise. Just... I feel like I've taken up a lot of no, time no. tonight. No.
1: No, it's okay. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, I've probably mentioned it up 10 times as my first show. It's amazing. I had this massive script at the start. It's amazing how quickly that disappears. So I'm really thankful that you've been such a great guest and been able to give so much to the show. Because um, I think I originally asked you for 20 minutes or so, and I thought that was quite cheeky on a Sunday evening. <laughs> but all this time is great. Um, one question I was going to ask you just to care to me. How do you think a teacher going into the police force would be received? Would That be an issue, would they? Would they get all the think, lines about 13 weeks and all that?
3: No, I, I, I think <laughs> it depends. So, the police did a thing a little while ago uh, which was hilarious in its naivety a direct entry detective, um, wow. okay. where you could basically do a 12 week course and then become a detective. Um, wow. and I think the main thing about policing is credibility and that's why credibility is so massive. And I've, I've mentioned it loads during our conversation, but credibility is probably one of my kind of core values. Um, And the way it works in the police is you don't move up and become a boss until you've bled in the trenches with everybody else. no street cop, no detective, no first line manager will respect a boss who hasn't done the hard yeah. time, who hasn't done the night shifts, who hasn't wrestled the drunks, and, you know, who hasn't done the domestic violence calls. Um, sounds great. <laughs> and, I mean, it, but it, it's very, for all the faults the police has, that sense of, of decency, if you like, I, I always found really, really heartening that I'm not going to mm-hmm. be, I'm not going to be managed by somebody who doesn't know what it's like to be in my position. Yes, um, so credibility is massive. Um, and I think as long as a, a teacher went in with that mindset of, I am starting at the bottom, but everybody starts at the bottom. And that's the right place to be, because that's where I learn my craft. That's where I get good at what I'm doing. That's where I get that credibility. That's how I learn to build those relationships. And then when I've not proven myself, but when I'm consciously competent of my abilities, um Because I I really like the, you know, unconsciously incompetent, incompetent, then consciously incompetent. Have you ever heard that model before?
1: (laughs) I've not. No, no.
3: No. So there's there's, there's four stages of competency and you can use it for any job. So there's um, unconsciously incompetent, which is where you don't know that you don't know something. And You'd then there's
1: conscious
3: in the government. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's consciously incompetent, where you think, Oh, actually, I don't know anything about this. I probably should do something about it. Um, right. and then there's consciously competent, which is your learning phase, which is I really need to, you know, crack on, read some books in the police, go to some incidents, get some cases under your belt. And then there's unconsciously competent where it's just like putting on old slippers where you just know what you're doing yeah. and you just do it. Um, and I think as long as you kind of go in with that mindset of I don't know anything, but I know I don't know anything and I'm by the end of this, I'm going to know what I need to know and that enables me yeah. to move up and I'm not going to try and jump ahead. Um, then anyone can join the police. You know, the police is famous yeah. for bringing in ex-military, um, mm-hmm. you know, lots of those kind of things um, structure based careers always appeal to to people joining the police so I, I don't see a reason why not um yeah go for it if that's what people want I, I think i think life's too short to sell yourself to one particular career especially now when things like pensions and stuff aren't what they used yeah. to be um i don't think the the ties are as strong as they used to be you know like our parents stuck in the same job from kind of cradle to grave because it was safe and secure and they knew what they were getting at the end of it i don't think life works like that anymore um so i don't suppose there's any harm in shopping about if you do fancy a change
1: it's well it's funny you should say that because one of the i was going to quote extensively from this but after the fallout on social media this weekend i thought it best not to but over christmas i was reading that i don't know if you read the jimmy Carr book and it's Sort of. Oh yeah, he's he's not he's not doing
3: particularly well, is he at the minute, Jimmy Carr?
1: <laughs> no, I think he's uh, he's a bit of hot water, perhaps. He's but...
3: entering the J.K. Rowling sphere of <laughs> notoriety at the moment, isn't
1: he? Yeah, well, it's one of those things. i I've mentioned his name now before he gets cancelled, but um, <laughs> it was interesting that he he's written this book as part biographical part, um, self help, he, he called it, and there's a whole chapter he talks about. Attitudes to work. So he was an oil executive, not an oil executive, he was in the marketing for the oil industry. Um, and he decided he wanted to be a comedian, he stuck at it and had a go at it. And he basically, his point is basically, I suppose what we've agreed tonight really is that we sort of, in the past, you were, you know, butcher, baker, whatever, you, your name sort of was synonymous with your career. Um, But he makes the point that one day he'll be ex-comedian Jimmy Carter. It might be quicker than he thinks actually based on what's (laughs) happening. But um, he makes the point that one day he'll be an ex-comedian and that'll be a different phase of his life and that's quite natural and that's something that we should all Mm -hmm. maybe embrace or certainly maybe accept that it's not something that you're going to be doing forever and, you know, you'll have different careers in your lifetime and, and, and you know you're certainly Well, think about the
3: archbishop it. of canterbury the archbishop of canterbury was an oil executive before he was the archbishop was he of canterbury re- so yeah
1: oh, i didn't realize that so yeah so it's a change it is more common than we think perhaps yeah absolutely so well i've just noticed the time i've kept you an awful long time on a sunday but it's i've just it's been every bit as interesting as i thought it'd be it's um who has been watching all the detective shows on T V the chance to talk to somebody who's, who's done that life and is now also a teacher and as we know teachers can talk to each other for hours and hours and hours. I
3: know. I'm um, f i do feel like brilliant. I've like wiped out all the rest no. of the content. I'm so sorry.
1: <laughs> no, this is no this is the main part of the content. I've got I've got one more caller who's supposed to be calling them but he's not appeared yet. So that's okay. Um but I'm gonna have to play the news in a minute. Um but it's it's been absolutely brilliant and I think um I think we've probably only touched the um, you know, sort of the tip of the iceberg kind of springs to mind that we've covered tonight. But um, mm-hmm. it'd be great to have you on again. If you wanted to come on again, that would be brilliant.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Just do. just let me know when you've got a free slot.
1: Well, do. Thanks very much, Leisure for coming All on. Right I really then. appreciate it.
3: And congratulations on your first show.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm nearly done as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Speak to you soon.
3: All right, then you take care.
5: Thank Bye now. Thank you and
1: you. Bye-bye. Right, that I, I was I was really I was really pleased when Alicia said she was going to come on the show because particularly when she was saying about her previous career, I thought it's just perfect. There's so many things there that I think um, I'd probably like to pick up next month, perhaps. Um, time is running short. That's my fault, as I say, in experience and all sort of I'm just going to put the news on and hopefully I'll have another guest after that.
0: This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you, too, through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslacgroup.co.uk to find out more.
4: Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen great improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and Arc Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn. U P L E A R N dot co uk.
0: Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod, an exciting new addition to the Renaissance family. Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification, and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today.
4: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
5: Perpetrators are finding new ways to groom and abuse younger children, including through social media and dating apps, according to a report by the Independent Inquiry into Child Sexual Abuse. The inquiry, chaired by Professor Alexis Jay, concluded that local authorities and police forces are struggling to keep pace with the changing nature of child sexual exploitation. The report warned that there is a false assumption that exploitation by organised networks is on the wane. Professor Jay previously investigated abuse in Rotherham, and said that there may also be a fear that places will be labelled another Rotherham or another Rochdale. The report Mm. found that child sexual exploitation has now become a hidden problem, in danger of being underreported. Six areas were focused on as a part of the inquiry. St Helens, Tower Hamlets, Swansea, Durham, Bristol and Warwickshire. They are areas that have not already been subject to investigations into CSE. The report emphasises that too many victims of child sexual exploitation are treated as offenders and states that more effort must be made to prosecute perpetrators effectively. The report makes six recommendations, including improving the identification of and the response to child sexual exploitation. Professor Jay said the sexual exploitation of children by networks is not a rare phenomenon and not confined to a small number of areas and that all agencies, including education, should be alert to the signs. According to a report in The Guardian, one in eight primary pupils in England had COVID last week. Figures released on Friday by the Office for National Statistics suggest that infections may now have peaked in primary age pupils, but the surge continues to cause disruption to attendance. Prevalence also remains high amongst secondary schools, with an infection rate in England of one in 15. The Department for Education has launched its new Education Staff Wellbeing Charter, which applies to staff in England. On the Government website are details of the declaration of support for, and set of commitments to, the well-being and mental health of everyone working in education. All state-funded schools and colleges are invited to sign up to the Charter, and the website has links to a range of resources. An article on the Daily Monitor website discusses fire safety in schools in Uganda following a fire at a school in Kawempe in January. The fire broke out in the girls dormitories and left four pupils dead and three seriously injured. The Uganda National Fire Protection Association reports that around 5,000 fires occur in institutions of learning each year. Many are now calling for a greater focus on fire safety to prevent loss of life, damage to property and disruption to learning. This should include installing firefighting equipment in schools and clear identification of escape routes as well as smoke detectors and fire alarms. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio weekend news with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week we're going to take a look
2: at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in. They signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not gonna go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm gonna give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way, for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they played back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love whiteboard, try whiteboard.fi. As a teacher, you can see all your classes, whiteboards and answers, know who's interacting and who's not. You can even show a QR code for ease of joining. I could go on and on. The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that
0: was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your Tech Briefing
5: on Teachers Talk Radio. okay
1: right that's me back okay so the second part of the show say second part with my fault an um host We sort of ran on the first one but to be honest the first we were such a good conversation the first part of the show i really didn't want to stop it i think we could have talked for hours upon that issue and i'm sure hopefully you know at least she'll come back on um and and uh, there's so many words of wisdom spoken and i think it'd be really invaluable for us to listen to her again okay um uh, the next Talking point tonight really was all about, well if I tell you the background, basically it was something I saw on Twitter and there was a debate, uh, I won't name names, but there was a debate talking about whether, it seemed to me that it was it was two extremes. One person arguing that grades the be all and end all and the other one saying no, it was inspiring students to be the next generation of actors, uh, musicians, inventors, engineers, poets, whatever. Um, and it sort of seems strange to me that you've got this massive sort of divergence of views on, on something like that. Um, so I've asked an old friend of mine to come on to talk from an SLT point of view on how important grades are. Um, whether they Are they the be all and end all? Did they tell us that we're creating a generation of, you know, like I say, the next inspired inventors, the ones who are going to tackle climate change or whatever. You know, is that is that what the grade showers were doing? So I'm just gonna bring him into the show now. I hope he's there. Hello, Nick, you there? Hiya Paul. Can you is that all right? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you loud and clear, brilliant, mate, yeah. Um so as I say, I've known Nick for, for many years. We worked together seventeen years ago, I think it is since we last worked together. Um but Nick, do you wanna tell everyone a little bit about yourself?
6: Uh, yeah, thanks, Paul. Uh, so I'm currently a, an assistant head teacher. Um, so the whole grade idea is uh, very important uh, at, at the moment. Um, and I think you used the term before, uh, grade factories. Um, and at, yeah. I, I was thinking about that term. Um, what, what do we mean by a, a grade factory when we talk about a school? And I think there's a lot of the time we're referring to uh, potentially a school that is Trying to get the best results from its students at the expense of other things, um, so that that the results of students is is the and most important thing. But we know that if it was put above things like safeguarding and that wasn't effective, then you are absolutely buying in special measures, which which nobody wants at that school. So I think it's quite an unfair term um, yeah. and possibly unfair labelling schools in that way um, because unless you work there. You're a student there or a parent, governor, et cetera. I think it would be very, very difficult to see what the, the ethos or the culture was.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that term, um, it's, it's, I've heard it used a few times. It, it impl- the implication for me is that um, the grades matter above all else. And as you say, you know, there's, there's quite clearly legal issues around that. If you were to put safeguarding below grades, as you just pointed out, that obviously would uh, put the school in hot water. What I'm thinking of it, it's its it's got these sorts of things as a negative connotation. It's almost like we're going to push these kids through grades. That's going to be the main thing. The avenue I'm approaching it from, if you like, is, I mean, I know obviously you've got uh, children and I've got a daughter who's been through primary school. Is, this, is there a massive difference? Because here's where I'm coming from. So my daughter's in year seven and uh, one of the things she, she loves secondary school, she loves the new subjects, she loves the, the way of secondary school, but one of the things she's saying is things like, it's hit her hard a little bit, that we're not gonna do, they're not going to do a big day for book day, world book day, they're not going to have mufty days and special events days, or not certainly not as much, and I've got this theory, I don't know what you think about this Nick, do you think that the schools that prioritise grades above everything else, does that backfire, does that make the children, begin to see school because i just think kids seem to love primary school but then they get to secondary school are they hit with too much focus on gcse's what do you think
6: um yeah i think i think there's definitely a, a viewpoint of that and I, i'd agree with that as being a dad myself um because depending on which type of parent you speak to it, it determines how they feel uh, they want their child to engage with school so obviously we all I, I very much doubt there'll be a parent that's first thing wouldn't would be that they wouldn't want their children to be safe in school, um, and probably happy yeah. would be the next one, but then there's a lot of parents where the next thing on that would be to do well, to gain the grades, to move on to the next yeah. option, to go into A levels or the apprenticeship or or whatever, and I think it's a very fine balance between like you said listing all those things that that young people really really enjoy, uh, the World Book day, that their engagement uh, with with that. Um, particular piece of, of work or learning that they, they want to do that is seen as fun by, by the youngsters yeah. but we've also got to remember that a school is is judged on a, a number of factors so even if you refer to, to Ofsted now and their new inspection framework um, if, if, you, if you look at the handbook which as senior leaders tend to do um, the word curriculum is used 194 times whereas the word right. results yeah. is only used 10 times but then, That's interesting. You, know, you, you know yourself, the, the three I's, the in, intent, implementation, impact. Well, impact has, has, a, has, a, has to be measured somehow. Um, and they refer to remembering more, knowing more, being able to do more, even as low as like the early years foundation stage. Um, but what, how do they measure that? How, how can they then uh, say whether a school is having the impact that, that it should be? Um, and even now they're referring to national data tables and ultimately Mm -hmm. a lot of parents make decisions on where they send the children and you know school leadership teams governing bodies obviously their first priority is the children that attend but they've also got the the, uh, concerns of the people who work there you know schools that serve 800 plus students can have in excess of 200 staff working there who all have their own families, their own mortgages, rent to pay. And ultimately, if a school isn't achieving and getting the grades, then parents will stop sending their children there. Um, If it gets a bad Ofsted grading, you know, if you you work in a school with lots of other schools in the area and you suddenly drop from outstanding or good down to RI or inadequate, then your admissions drop. And with that, uh, funding, so all the external forces that are on schools all that kind of fades into comparison and ultimately falling numbers, you're not filling your your uh, seats and it's quite a, a difficult message to put across, but ultimately then people lose their jobs and made redundant and, and so on. So it, it is a very, very fine balancing act and, and, you know, you know yourself, it is important and it depends what hat you've got on. Is it, is it a hat of a parent and what you want your children to enjoy and to, to gain from school or is it the hat of a, of a teacher or a senior leader within a school and therefore having to have that responsibility of both sides of the fence.
1: Yeah, you know what, there's, there's, I mean it wouldn't surprise you, obviously we've had discussions on this over the years. I fully agree it's, it's. you know as a parent I have to, it, it is funny isn't it because as teachers we do this thing where we, 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 we go on about Ofsted about its inadequacies and it's you know whether it has an impact and how the reports don't really reflect the school but then Every teacher I know, when they send them the child to a school, the first thing they do is go to the Ofsted report, isn't it? So it's the same sort of thing. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting. I mean, the only the only thing is um, I'd love to sort of get into this in more detail, but obviously we're sort of running out of time. Um, but, yeah, it's been interesting. It's, it's one of those things. I think maybe you could come on next month and we'll have a, a, a more in-depth conversation about this. What do you think?
6: Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: love to. Brilliant. Sorry, I left you so late, mate. That's uh, and no, no, bother. Even, no bother. Well, well. Hopefully, if nothing else, this has been like a warm up for you, and you kind of feel like next time you come <laughs> on, it'll be uh, it be nice and uh, relaxing for you. Excellent, excellent. And I think you've done a sterling job as well. So good work. Oh, cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks. That's much appreciated. I'll have you on again. <laughs> cheers, mate. I'll, yeah, uh, I'll speak care. to you. Thanks, Nick. Right. Yeah. Sorry about that, everyone. I was hoping to spend more time on that. Nick's got, um, you know, he's been a teacher now for 20, I think he's done one year less than me. So 22, 23 years. So, um, yeah, basically, um, I, it'd be good to have him on to have uh, a bit more time and sort of, uh, really sort of talk about discussion. And plus, hopefully we'll have more people come involved as well. You know, we'll, we'll look at that in the next show at the end, uh, sorry, at the start of next month. So thanks for everyone who's listened. Thanks for Alicia and Nick for coming on the show. Thanks for Steve as well for really going above and beyond by supplying me some answers um, and email them out to me. Um, I've really enjoyed myself. This hour and a half has flown by. So hopefully, uh, well, I'll speak to you in a month.